All right, well, today you should probably already know what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be continuing in our series in the uh, book of 1 John. And we're going to pick up right where we left off last week in 1 John chapter 3, beginning in verse 24. And the big idea this morning is very simple, and it's this. Be careful who you listen to. Be careful who you listen to. I wonder how many of you have made some decision or followed a certain personality or gone down a path that you regret because you listened to the wrong person. I I have. I mean, I could tell you some stories about poor decision after poor decision or a path that I followed for way too long because I was listening to the wrong people. And I ended up where I didn't want to be. And that place was far from God, somewhere far from God and far from the truth. And so today we are going to be reminded just how important it is who we listen to and to examine, to thoroughly examine every voice that influences us from day to day. So let's read from 1 John chapter 3 beginning in verse 24. You can follow along with me in your Bibles. The Apostle John writes, Whoever keeps his commands abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. That's the Holy Spirit. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth. And the spirit of error. This is the word of God. Please join me in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word that reveals your true character to us. And we pray this morning that we would be careful as we navigate these verses and as we seek to know the truth and seek to grow deeper in our fellowship with you and your Son Jesus Christ through your Holy Spirit who dwells in us. We pray that you would give us clarity today and that you would lead us in faith and obedience and love for you. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Now there's a reason that this passage is in this letter. In fact, this is not the first passage in this letter that addresses this problem in the church, is it? We've already talked about this several weeks ago at the end of chapter 2. But here's what's happening Church, church historians tell us that around this time, at the end of the first century, there's a lot of supernatural activity going on in and around the church, but in a more or less chaotic way. And people in the church are being mesmerized by supernatural activity. People are gravitating to certain spiritual gifts, those spiritual gifts that result in some miracle or supernatural event. They might hear someone prophesy or share some special knowledge about another person. 
or they might witness a miracle healing, or they might see something they've never seen before, and they're just utterly impressed by that. They're dazzled by it. They see and hear powerful things from influential and charismatic leader types, and they're willing to listen to whatever these people have to say without first testing and examining them and their message. And the result was that more and more people were pursuing miracles instead of pursuing Christ. So John's point here is that every spirit that demonstrates that kind of supernatural power must be tested. And what we need to test is the source. The source of the power. Where does it come from? Where do these people come from? And that's extremely important to know because as we've seen, as we've gone through this letter, there's really only two sources. There's only two spiritual dads. There's God the Father and there's the devil. And everyone comes from one of those two sources. Everyone's following one of those two sources. So according to this text, there are people who have power in the world, supernatural power, and regardless of where they come from, they look the same most of the time. They look the same. Regardless if they're from God or from the devil, they look the same. And they sound the same. And so behind every prophet, there's an energizing spirit, and those spirits can only come from one of those two sources. And behind every spirit is either God or the devil. That's what we're told. And the prophets often look the same and sound the same. They both claim to be from God. They both claim to be doing God's work. They both might have the ability to prophesy or perform miracles and do amazing things. But they might not have the same source. And so here's what you need to know. Spiritual activity is not necessarily the Holy Spirit's activity. That's the point. So we need to test the spirits. We need to test the spirits. That's the command. What does that mean? Testing the spirits basically just means rigorous examination. Now, if you buy a used car, and I hate to compare spiritual teachers to used car salesmen because I'm throwing myself in there with, that, with, with all of those people. But if you're buying a used car on Craigslist, which is something I do and something I sometimes regret, you're not just going to take that person's word for it when it comes to what they say is the condition of the car, right? You're not gonna just going to take their word for it. You're going to open the hood, whether you know what you're looking at or not. You're going to open the hood. You're going to look under the car. You're going to open the doors. You're going to smell for things. I don't even know if that matters. You're going to do all kinds of stuff. You're going to search that car high and low. Many of you would never buy a car off of Craigslist simply because you don't trust people. And that's okay, You might bring a friend with you who knows something about cars. You might take that car to your mechanic and have him give it a thorough examination before you invest your hard-earned money into that car, right? I mean, that's just what we should do. It's wise. And what we're being told here is that we should treat spiritual teachers the same way. The same way. We're called to be spiritually skeptical, okay? Not cynical, just skeptical, And here's the difference between buying a used car and testing the spirits. There's a difference. When you're buying a used car, you need an expert on cars to help you before you invest yourself. But when it comes to testing the spirits, we're the experts. You're the expert. Every one of us is a theologian. Every one of us who has the Spirit of God dwelling in us 
has this ability to discern truth from error. And you know what else we have? We have, we have two amazing resources. We have the Holy Spirit of God living in us that allows us to know the difference between what is from God and what is not. We're able to understand God because the Spirit himself, the Spirit of God gives us understanding of the things of God, right? And we also have each other. We have the Christian community. We're, we're all in. We're, we're doing this together. We're called to test the spirits together, to sharpen each other, to question one another. I need people in this church to sharpen me, to question me at times, to, to come alongside me and help lead me into truth and help me discern the difference between what's true and what's not. And sometimes how to apply that truth and to be precise, you know? We need each other to do that. And that's, we have together, we have the mind of Christ. We have that ability to know the difference. This is the job of the whole community. It's something we get to do together. I mean, many of you have spiritual gifts that I don't. You know, I have certain spiritual gifts that you might not have, but... None of us is more valuable than anyone else. We're all in this together. We all have the mind of Christ and we're able to test the spirits. And we need to test those spirits. And what we're saying when, we, when we're saying test the spirits is we're just saying we need to test people. Because behind every person is a spirit. And behind every spirit is either God or some other supernatural power. So why is this so important? Why do we need to be vigilant and examine every spirit? Here's why. Ephesians 6, chapter 12. Here's a familiar passage for some of you. The Apostle Paul writes, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So why is it important to test the spirits? Because our greatest battle in this life is a spiritual one. It's not physical. It's spiritual. And also many false prophets have gone out into the world. We're told right in this text. Many false prophets are in the world today. Posing as God's servants. In other words, there are a lot of powerful and influential people who claim to be doing God's work and they claim to be indwelt by God and to have heard God's voice and to be led by God's spirit and to be speaking on behalf of Jesus. But many of those people and those leaders are not who they claim to be. By their very nature, false prophets appear to be true and to be genuine and all about doing God's work, but that's not who they are beneath the surface. Jesus talked about this. Several times. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 and 16, Jesus said, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. He goes on to say a few verses later, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day... Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Notice Jesus will not argue with them about what they did. 
Apparently, there are people who do prophesy and do cast out demons and do miracles, but they don't have the one thing necessary, the most important thing, which we've been talking about for weeks, fellowship with the Father and His Son, Jesus. Jesus doesn't know them. They don't know Jesus. There's no relationship. There's no inner life with God. In Mark chapter 13, Jesus says something similar. He says, For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard, I have told you all things beforehand. So it's pretty clear, I think. False prophets look and sound like true prophets. There's always some truth to their message. But what they do is they lead people, in the end, they're leading people away from the real gospel and the real Jesus. On the outside, they appear sincere and loving and right. They can heal people. They might be able to receive special knowledge about people and prophesy and demonstrate supernatural power. They can be articulate and dynamic and persuasive. But they don't come from God. So how then do we test the spirits? How do we do that? What kind of test are we talking about? Well, what we're talking about in this passage is a doctrinal test. It's a theological test. It's similar to what the Bereans did in Acts chapter 17 when the Apostle Paul preached the the message of Jesus Christ to them. We're told that the Bereans were more noble than other people Paul had preached to Because they took everything that Paul said and they went to the scriptures and examined everything that he said about Jesus with the scriptures. Before they believed anything, they didn't take his word for it. They didn't just jump on the bandwagon. They went to the scriptures and they examined everything he said. And then they believed. And they experienced life with God like they've never experienced before. So here's how John describes this. Again, in in chapter 4, verse 2 and 3, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which is someone who opposes Christ, or puts themselves in the place of Christ. Which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. So this is something we talked about just a few weeks ago at the end of chapter 2, but it bears repeating. The most important question that we need to wrestle with when it comes to examining other teachers and leaders is what do you believe about Jesus Christ? What do you believe about the person and work of Jesus? That's the question. A true prophet does not need to validate or justify their lifestyle or doctrine by going outside the boundaries of the Bible, ever. They, should, they never have to do that, a true prophet. They never have to appeal to any authority outside of Jesus or the Bible. On the other hand, any person who denies that God became a man and did not lay aside his godness or his deity is not from God. Any teacher who denies that in Jesus Christ is the perfect union of full humanity and full deity is not from God. Anyone who denies that Jesus is the Christ, the God-man, is not from God. 
Any teacher or prophet who denies that Jesus Christ has existed from eternity past and dwelt among us in the flesh is not from God. If they deny that Jesus Christ alone gives us access to God and peace with God, they are not from God. If they deny that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world, they're not from God. If they deny that Jesus Christ still has a body, that he's still physical, and that when he returns, we will be raised with physical bodies, they're not from God. Any teacher who denies that Jesus Christ acted as our substitute to take our punishment for sin on the cross or that he was judged in our place and absorbed the wrath of God in his physical body is not from God. And any person who denies that faith in Jesus Christ, that through faith in Jesus we are united to God in Christ, is not from God. That's what he means. There's a lot packed into that phrase that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. It's anyone who tells you that Jesus Christ is not enough. That you need something more. You need some special revelation or you need an anointing of the Spirit, which we already determined you have through faith. You need to, or you need, to, you need to speak in tongues or you need to encounter Jesus in a more dramatic way or you need a vision or you need a dream or a word from God to experience life with God. If people are telling you that, be careful. Be very careful. Watch out for any teacher who talks about blessings or money or success or prosperity as a measure of your faith or as a promise or reward for obedience. We're not going to listen to any teacher or leader who does not embrace the suffering of Jesus Christ as a way of life. The Jesus of the New Testament teaches his disciples how to live with humility and how to embrace suffering and trials as a means to fellowship with him. That's the real Jesus. Any teacher who claims that as a follower of Christ, you should expect to see miracles and signs and wonders follow you wherever you go is not a leader I'm going to follow. They are not embracing the fellowship of his sufferings. I believe that healing has its place. I believe in the gift of healing. I believe that God heals people through his servants today. I believe it has its place, but that place is somewhere way behind love and obedience and truth and Jesus. So the question we need to ask is, what, what are these people making the most noise about? What do they give the most attention to? What do they get the most excited about? Because any movement that doesn't make the person and work of Jesus the center of their attention is not from God. That's what John is saying. Success should never draw attention to itself in the disciple's life. Healing should never draw attention to itself in the disciple's life. It should always give attention to the person of Jesus Christ. Why do you think Jesus continually said after he healed people, don't tell anyone about this? He said that all the time. He charged people strongly, don't go around telling others about this. I know what you've seen. I know you've never seen anything like this before. 
But he continually warned people not to do that. Why? Because he didn't want people coming to him for a show. He was all about the relationship. And if people are being healed, but disciples are not being made, something is wrong. Something is wrong. Physical healing always serves disciple making. And what is a disciple? A disciple is a person who has passed out of death into life. A disciple is a person who's been changed from the inside out by the Spirit of God and who now loves God and wants to please God. And they continually grow in their love and obedience to God. That's a disciple, according to John. The essence of the disciple's life is never about spiritual gifts, ever. Look at every passage in the New Testament about spiritual gifts. It's never the essence. It's never the main thing. The essence has always been and will always be about faith, obedience, and love. While all the attention and all the fame goes to Jesus. David Martin Lloyd-Jones, I know I've been quoting him a lot lately, but he just has so much good stuff on this. And this is, he said this, The true prophet is not the man who talks about experiences and visions and what he has done and seen, but about Christ. And when you have heard him, you do not say, what a wonderful man. You say, what a wonderful Savior. And so I want to challenge you today. I want to challenge you with a really simple challenge. Be careful and be balanced. Be balanced. Especially when it comes to the Holy Spirit, where we have all kinds of opinions and beliefs and practices across the Christian landscape when it comes to how does the Holy Spirit work today. You know, we need to be balanced. Don't go to extremes. Doctrine and experience have to be balanced. Truth and love have to be balanced. Balance may be the most important theological word you will never find in a systematic theology book. It's so important. I've met people from both extremes. I've met plenty of people who are so immersed in their Bibles and so extremely careful doctrinally and so precise and so thoroughly committed to having every doctrine all figured out and mapped out and they have very little love and humility and they're not spontaneous and they, have, they are not demonstrating the Spirit's power in their life. There's no inner life with God. There's virtually no experience of the Spirit's power because their faith is demonstrated merely through intellectual pursuits and dry orthodoxy at the expense of experience. That's going to extremes. There's no balance in that life. But I've also met people who are not all that interested in knowing and studying the Bible. They would much rather just pray and sing and experience the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit in their life. And they're very easily led astray by supernatural activity, whether it's from God or not. And that also is extreme. And not balanced. So if people are criticizing you for being too experiential and too charismatic on one side, and other people are criticizing you from the other side for being too intellectual and precise, you're probably doing just fine. (laughs) Does that make sense? We need both. We need theological precision, and clarity. We need doctrinal clarity. We need to be definitive in what we believe and what we don't believe as a church. We need that. 
to be strong, to avoid error. But we also need ongoing and spontaneous and vital experiences of the Spirit of God. We need to experience the Spirit's power in our church and in our lives. We need both. They go together. They're not mutually exclusive. We need the Spirit to understand the Word of God, don't we? I mean, it's the Spirit of God that gives us understanding. It's the Spirit of God that enlightens our hearts to understand God and to know Him and experience His truth to correct us when we're wrong, to know the truth, to be free. And we also need the Spirit of God to wake us up to his love and power in this world and to what he's doing in people in this world. To remind us that God can do the impossible, that there's nothing he can't do. There's nobody outside of his reach and he wants to use us. He wants to use us to minister Christ's love to people through the gospel. That's the Spirit's power. Are you experiencing the Spirit's power in your life? We need both. And so... Let's be a church that is balanced. Let's immerse ourselves in the Bible and let's learn it and let's understand it and let's be clear about it. And let's also invite the Holy Spirit to demonstrate his power in our lives. Are you with me, my friends? Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your word. We thank you for your presence here today through your Holy Spirit and we ask that you would lead us into all truth as you said you would do that you would awaken us to your activity in the world, that you would send us out, that you would demonstrate the power of the gospel through us, that we would be courageous, that we would be bold, that we would be clear, that we would be definitive, that we would be careful, and that we would be balanced in everything that we do, God. We want to be your faithful servants. We want to submit ourselves to you and serve you and obey you and love you and worship you with all of our hearts and minds. And we ask that you would strengthen us today as your church, that you would unite us in the truth and in love by your Holy Spirit that dwells in us. Protect us from error and make us a strong and healthy church that loves people and that's taking the message of Jesus Christ and his cross to those who are far from you so that they can experience redemption in Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.